Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Hey, Nia. <laughs> Sorry, you were drinking coffee. Yeah. Oh, man, I did that thing. What, like, It's like I was a waitress in a former lifetime. You know how they always walk by and they wait till you have food in their mouth? I'm like, are you enjoying your meal? And you're like... Yeah, I have that talent as a faculty member. I actually... I, I apparently wait to go ahead and ask a particular student a question just after they, you know, you know, took a bite of potato chips or they took a swig of water or coffee or whatever, and they just look at me like, really, dude? Okay. I have that talent. What What did I do to you? Yeah, yeah. Well, one, why are you calling on me specifically? And two, why did you wait until I got a mouthful of, you know, beverage or food? Calling on people, that's the Socratic method. That is the Socratic method. So everybody here needs to do the readings, including you in the back, taking a nap, because I'm probably going to call on you. Yeah, or the, you know, if you think that you're not going to get asked a question because you just took a, you know, a A bite of of coffee. coffee. (laughs) Too bad for you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I like like how we set up a sort of slightly combative atmosphere. Yeah, it's part of the charm of, you know, know, of the way I teach. Charm said with air quotes. That's right. Yes. Qu- 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 you can't see them, but they're they're there, hanging in there. Yes. Okay, so we're in an election year. I don't know if you've noticed that we're in an election year. Uh, yes, we are in a presidential it's been, election year. It's been year. occasionally mentioned. <laughs> yeah. In between, in between <laughs> coronavirus and the impeachment, impeachment, people occasionally are like, oh, yeah, and the Iowa caucuses in a week. A week, that's right. It's terrifying. Yes. Because um, I always think, oh, it's way far away. It's, it's like the mountains when you're driving across Colorado. Yes. Right? They're way far away, and then suddenly you're going vertical instead of horizontal because the road has— Yes. Taken a drastic yes. turn. Uh, I've driven Interstate 80 through Colorado, and, and, and you're it's like, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, you enter the oh, state. We're not going to be at those mountains forever. Oh! Yes. And then suddenly there you are. Yeah, and then you're you know you're driving straight up, and you're just like, <laughs> how did this happen? One, how did this happen? And two, um, <clears throat> did I uh, get a really good uh, inspection? Um, <laughs> is my car going to make it? Okay. Which is how I feel about the the caucuses. Is my is my election going to make it? <laughs> yes, right, right. Like it's the whole thing is. Yes. And now I'm in that, of course, in that mode. Yes. But I wanted to ask you about something because we had a. Um, so I asked one of our listeners for um, her thoughts on the electoral college, and her first question was which I thought was interesting, or not her first question, but one of her questions was, why did the Supreme Court take the the Bush v. Gore case? Which got me thinking about this whole idea of the Supreme Court and electoral college and intervention and how all of that works. And then here lately, there's been something right. There are cases now about faithless electors, yes. which isn't nearly as sexy as it sounds. Right. Because when I first heard, I was like, ooh, ooh. faithless electors. Give me some of that. Yeah. Right? We got politics and sex. You're like, no, not really. Yeah, not really. Almost never, actually. Yeah. In, in this case, also as well. But what the heck? What is going on? OK, so 
uh, let's unpack. Uh, let's unpack this. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, okay. I, I brought a lot of luggage today. Sorry, <laughs> that's quite all right. Because when you, you know you go on long journeys, and, and when we discuss the electoral college, it is a long journey. <laughs> okay, um, uh, you know it's probably good to to pack a, a bunch of clothes, yeah. right? So or nothing else changes of underwear and socks. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to uh, the writing of the Constitution. Um, one of the chief defects of the Articles of Confederation was that there was no executive branch in our national government. So there was basically no branch that could implement those rare times where the 13 states could actually agree to do something post-Revolutionary War. So the current we don't agree on anything except perhaps to perhaps to all breathe goes all the way back to the very, very beginning. Yeah, post-Revolutionary War. Yeah, right? So we've never... So this dream of, like, congressional harmony and all the kumbaya love, that why can't people just get along? Not so much. Not so much. That's sort of a... That was crushed early on, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's a a rare condition. Okay. (laughs) It's a statistical anomaly. (laughs) Okay. That that they're getting along. Okay. Okay. So... So the, the the framers at the Constitution, um, you know, w- one of the issues they struggled with was, okay, so we have an executive branch. Um, there's somebody that needs to run the executive branch, but how do we choose who this person will be? And there were any number of proposals. So Oh, so there was no method for electing the president at this point. No. I mean, so we're at the, the Constitutional Convention and, uh, we'll and I'm just— We'll appoint somebody. Yeah, I mean— We'll uh, do rock, paper, scissors, which would have been awesome. awesome. Just okay. saying Jefferson probably would have won that. He would have figured out some way to— yeah, because he would have studied it, you know, over like twelve years, <laughs> right. okay, and, and wrote down, you know, every the single statistical who, chances says, of yeah. whatever until he okay. could. Okay, I mean that, you know, that's what Thomas Jefferson did, right? Um, so uh, I'm not going to cover all the proposals, but just to give you an example, one proposal was uh, the president would actually be a multi-person committee of Congress. Okay. okay. Uh, another proposal. So the president is the president's. Yes. Okay. And it would be an executive advisory council to the legislative body. Which is terrifying because if you don't want something to happen, you ask a committee to do it. Oh, sure. I mean, hey, we both work at a university, right? (laughs) Library committees are fabulous. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) All library committees are completely fabulous and there's never any waste of time ever. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, because in political science, okay, they are models of inefficiency. No, I, okay. I mean, committees are committees they, get stuff done, but they, there's also personalities, and, yes. there's, and there's varying opinions, and sometimes you have to try stuff, and it doesn't work, and you have to try something else, which is fine. Unless you're leading a nation, which is a little scary. Yes. Because then you're like, well, let's try a little war against Spain. Oh, huh, that was a terrible idea. Let's undo that. That's much harder to undo. Or, than or to you do. know, you know, one of the... as we have discussed with war powers, it's not so easy <laughs> to just stop. Yeah, I mean, and you know, one of the pathologies that uh, public administration scholars have identified with any kind of bureaucratic structure is they are prone to inaction, not action. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. Protect what's already in place. place. And, you and gotta, it's easier. It's and, cheaper. It's and you, simpler. And you, you don't have to. And you got to convince a whole bunch of people on the committee to actually agree to something. 
You Which know. is hard to do. Yeah, see the United Except States. for chocolate cake. I mean, you can get everybody to yeah. agree to eat something like that. But yes. getting everybody to agree Well, on... increasingly with better diets, okay, well, that's it's, true. it's pretty hard to go ahead and that's even... That's true. Is it vegan? Is it gluten-free? Is it... Yeah, You know, is true. this healthy? You know, hey, I got high, you know, <laughs> high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I shouldn't be eating this. Okay, well, the rest of you guys are eating bad. I will go ahead and, you know, be part of the group. Really? Okay. <laughs> Another proposal was that the Congress would actually pick the president, um, mm. much like uh, the parliamentary form where the majority party in parliament gets to pick the prime minister. But for obvious okay. reasons, since they just got done being under the yoke <laughs> of the British crown, okay, they were like, no, not so much. Another proposal was um, uh, a majority of the popular vote of uh, the entire country, which the individual states did not like. The individual states were like, hey, wait a minute here. Okay, if we're a small state, you know, whatever our citizens, whoever our citizens want as president, well, we're going to lose out to all the larger states. Right. Our vote counts less because there's just fewer of of us. us. Okay. Mathematically, it doesn't work in their favor. Okay. But then ultimately, what the framer settled on was that you would have... um, uh, eligible voters in each of the states vote, and then um, within each state, the elites would be chosen as part of what they called the electoral college, okay, uh, that would have the potential authority to override the popular vote within a state, okay? Um, and in, I want to make sure I get the right Federalist Papers. I used to know all of these. I actually had undergraduate professors who forced us to, like, memorize what each of the Federalist Papers was about. Wow. Uh, yeah. How about that? Okay. It was in – oh. that help you in life? Not, not so <laughs> well, much. Well, you because yeah, you teach, yeah, you teach you, this you stuff. But, yeah. But, I mean, I wonder how many of your classmates are – are using that every day. Yeah. Of course, that's my argument against subtraction, too. Well, Why I mean, did I have to learn subtraction? How much of that do I do? Yeah. And then yeah, it's you, know, kind of you sort of like get in trouble if you don't I mean, it's kind of sort of like, you know, calculus for me. <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I going to do with that? Which is not, I mean, every, everything, uh, hey, hey, hey. everything you learn in school is useful because it changes your brain in some way. Changes your brain, teaches you how to think differently. It's a process. You know, hey, if you can, you know, struggle through a subject you don't like, then maybe you can struggle through something later on in life. Yeah. Okay. But in Federal's paper number 68, Alexander Hamilton actually discussed why an electoral college was necessary. And he gave basically uh, two reasons. Uh, one, and I want to get the exact quote because this is this is good stuff. Okay. <laughs> he said... You need an electoral college to make sure that a person was chosen that had the, quote, requisite qualifications and possessed more than just, quote, talents for low intrigue. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. By the way, that was a phrase in the late 1700s. Talents for low low intrigue. intrigue. That was a phrase in the late 1700s to uh, describe what we would refer to today as a demagogue. Oh, okay. okay. And then he so said, he, he's saying not just people who can whip up a crowd. That's right. Okay. okay. And then second, he ah, heard, your charisma doesn't count. You need to have other qualities. Okay, that's right. Okay. Um, and again, if you think about the evolution of political power historically, what 
the United States and then subsequently other Western democracies were trying to do was replace traditional political power, i.e. a monarchy where the power is, yeah, or or charismatic leaders with, okay, uh, rule by law. That's what they were trying to create. Well, and weren't they also trying to create a system where someone didn't stay in power until they were overthrown slash killed slash died of something? Yes. I mean, like, that's also part of it is that part of elections is that you want you want a consistent. You want an orderly, um, stable of, of service, and then you want an orderly, stable handover of power. Yeah, okay. the treat the peaceful transition of power, power. Okay. which is the common phrase that's used to su- describe that as a separate view from the coup d'état slash dictatorial revolutions. Right. right. The second reason that Hamilton mentioned, okay, and which actually has kind of sort of some relevance. <laughs> Um, in regards to the 2016 presidential election, is that many of the framers were concerned that foreign nations would try to influence, okay, presidential elections. Well, yeah, why wouldn't they? And that electoral college voters would be able to go ahead and overturn decisions made by uh, uh, the voting populace that may have been influenced by nations at that time, Great Britain and France. Okay, so I want you to keep that in mind. Those were the stated reasons in the Federalist Papers for why we need an Electoral College. Now, let's be very clear. The Electoral College is an anti-democratic institution because it basically says to the voters in each state, no matter who you pick, if we as elites who are members of the Electoral College – We get to go ahead and second-guess you. We get to go ahead and say, you guys were wrong and we're right. Okay? Okay. Well, yeah. Well, I know what's better for you than than you do. It's very parental. It's very parental. Or nanny, whatever you want to call that. This sort of the idea that— You know, government by elites. Right. the, The idea that you're not bright enough. Yes. To pick a person, yeah, um, which is pretty insulting. I mean, I'm just saying. Okay, so that was the original purpose, but then almost immediately, the Demo- or the, uh, the the political parties, okay, uh, the Democratic Republican Party led by Thomas Jefferson and the Federalist parties, immediately tried to, if you will. Um, um, uh, rig the system because they basically uh, passed laws in the various states that would require the electors to follow the results of the popular vote within the state. Which at that point makes it moot to have Comple- an electoral college. Completely moot. Right, because why? Okay. Well, now you're just saying, okay, my people said this, so I'm saying this. Yes. A equals A equals A. Okay. Well, then we can just count it the first time and be done, and we don't have to wait till December. That's right. Okay. So almost immediately, okay, the the promise or purpose of the Electoral College was subverted by the (laughs) political parties who were like, hey, wait a minute here. Okay. I love the American system. (laughs) System, Right. What a great idea. Let me tweak it just Just a a little. little. (laughs) 
again, you know, listeners of the podcast have heard me say this. Okay, I have thousands of students who hear me say this all the time. We have the Constitution as written, and then we have the Constitution in practice. Okay. Yeah. And the Constitution in practice was almost immediately um, uh, uh, subverted as it relate uh, as it relates to the original intent of the Electoral College. Right. So as this develops throughout the 19th century, okay, a majority of the states passed laws that explicitly said, okay, if you are chosen by your political party to be a potential member of the Electoral College, you must, okay, swear an oath to uphold the popular vote results within that state. And it became a way for political parties to reward um, those very active members of the party, right? Oh, like um, I don't know if you've—I don't know if listeners uh, can visualize the conventions. Mm-hmm. But at the conventions, at the different states, at the different—the two different conventions. So all the Republicans go to their convention. All the Democrats go to their convention. So if you're, let's say, you're a Republican from Virginia, um, and you go to the Republican convention, you go because. You've been chosen to go by the yes you by the state party, and basically you're being rewarded that's right. for service to the party, right? You've gotten out and gotten the vote out, and you've done all kinds of stuff you've, in your local polling places. You've and helped you've, raise money. You've, you've yes. done a lot of work. Yes, and the way they reward you is they send you to a big party yes. where everybody gets to hang out and go, "Yay, we love being Republican!" Or like yes, or and, you know, Democrat or Democrat, you, right? or okay. I assume the Libertarians have <laughs> something like that, but I don't. Don't know whether it's yeah they I, have, can all, I can see them phoning it in which would be very libertarian of them yeah yeah we're not coming up we'll just tell you what we think um yeah you can't tell me to come to a convention yeah exactly don't bug me <laughs> um so don't tread on me so uh but, but another but, way to reward the party reward. faithful okay. okay is to oh. uh, select you uh, because the way the electoral college works is you have the presidential election on the first uh, what is it the second tuesday first tuesday Oh, I can't remember. The, re- the election? Yeah. The first, first Tuesday, Tuesday after the first, first Monday in November. in November. Okay. So you have the election, and then the Electoral College actually comes to Washington, D.C. in December to cast their votes. Now, because the parties have already rigged the system, we basically know, okay, the evening of the election, what the Electoral College votes should be right, and some of them are by, like the whole state winner takes all, right? And some yeah, and of them all, are and, some yeah. of them are broken up by percentages. If a percentage of the pre, like, okay, if so, there are ten votes in a state, then if seventy percent went for the popular vote went for one one candidate, then they would get seven, and the other person would get three. Yeah, right? I mean, there are so a few states that are like that. There's only two or three states that actually divide up the electoral college vote based on either percentage or by which presidential candidate won a congressional district within the state. I think it's basically forty-seven or forty-eight. Do the winner take all? Okay, so Virginia. So it's a rubber stamp. Yeah, so in Virginia, for instance, um, in 2016, uh, a majority of the voters picked Hillary Clinton. So all of Virginia's electoral college votes, and if you are trying to figure out how many electoral college votes your state has, it's the number of representatives in the House plus two senators. Two senators, okay? Um, 
And then there are... Oh, I didn't realize the Electoral College is 538 people. Yeah, because it's 535 members of Congress plus three Electoral College members for the District of Columbia. Oh. That's how... Okay, that's how they tabulate. Yay, they get a vote. So basically, if you're a presidential candidate, you need... So Guam doesn't, and Puerto Rico doesn't, and all of our territories, American Samoa, they don't get... They don't have Electoral College votes. <gasps> that's not nice. That's that's not nice. <laughs> I mean, they vote, and then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yep. Oh, I would protest if I lived in Guam. I would be grumpy about that. I would be extremely grumpy. Okay? I mean, hey. So you got 538. Why bother to go? Okay, and a majority is 270. That's math that I can do. <laughs> Okay, so you need to get to 270. Yes, and on election night, that's what all those giant boards boards. on CNN, MSNBC, Fox, Fox, all of them have a giant board where – and I I have to say, even though I'm not – I try not to be partisan and I try to actually watch a lot of them. The one that I happen to watch the most is actually this guy named Steve – Kornacki, who's on MSNBC. MSNBC, and he has a whiteboard. But, right, and it's because he's, it's because he also at about four o'clock in the morning is like it's like he's on eighty grams of heroin. I mean, he's just like, you know, his hair's sticking out in all different directions. Like, dude, you, he's got really take this seriously. Like, his suit jacket, his heart is, is in it. His ties undone. His suit jacket is off. Okay, two buttons are first. He's rolled up his sleeves. I mean, okay, whatever makeup he's they doing put, journeyman work at this. Okay, point. Okay, whatever makeup they put on him. Okay, long gone. Long gone. It's <laughs> it, it, it's on his collar. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, and, 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 uh, I mean, Steve King, isn't it Stephen King, I think, over at M- uh, CNN? Like, he's very, um, you know, sort of dignified, and he's sort of— Is it John King? Or? John King. Thank yeah, because Stephen, King. Stephen King's— Stephen King is an author. author. That would be really terrifying, wouldn't it, um, if he was doing the—actually, that would be really cool. Well, election well I coverage. mean, hey, if he, if he wiped or if he wrapped um, a, a presidential election into one of his horror books— <laughs> 1963. Yeah, there, there you go. I mean, he did. Yeah. But yeah. like, what if Kennedy hadn't been assassinated? Yeah. Okay, but nevertheless. Um, but and I can't remember who guy is at Fox. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. That's terrible. But he, um, he also very dignified. Very, they're sort of. And then man, Kornacki's like, he's got half a donut hanging out his mouth while he's counting things and talking, and he's just great. I love him. Yeah. So he's like us. He's into it. Yeah. I mean, because you know, for for you know, political uh, politics junkies. You know, presidential elections, no matter who win or, you know, whether your favorite candidate won or lost, okay, it's our Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's— There should be puppy elections. There should be, right, yes. like, all the things that go with Super Bowl. There should be a party yes. with food. Yes. There should be everything that's— uh, and, 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 and— There should be commercials that are I, made for the election. I've not but done— But not election commercials, because okay, those aren't so good. I've not done this, but I've been told— Okay, that there are like actually political science students who you know um, who have such parties, and and then they actually drink when certain words are said throughout <laughs> the night. Again, I've never done this kind of thing, but I've told that such parties occur. That's awesome. Okay, right? take a drink when you hear upset. <laughs> yes. Okay, or 
you know, down downstate vote. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anyway, well, precincts reporting. That's yeah, another one. You could totally get. Oh my goodness. You okay. could get smashed really we, early in oh, the evening. Oh yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. So anyway, okay. all that being said. Okay, so you got to get to two seventy. So the electoral college historically ends up being uh, a tool for a campaign strategy. Okay, because. Oh yeah, you need you need a certain number of either big states or you need a whole bunch of little states. I'm trying to get uh, uh, right. Uh, yes, I'm. Uh, uh, Is that what you're getting yeah, at? Is uh, this idea that like California has a kazillion? I don't, it's not really a kazillion, but they have a huge number of votes. Yeah, I mean, well, and I tell my students this: think about this. Okay. But so does Texas. Okay. And those two usually go mm-hmm. Democrat right. and Republican. Yeah. So, I mean, think about this. In 2016, Hillary Clinton basically knew, okay, even before election night, that um, she already had California, New York, most of the New England states, okay, already wrapped up. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Because they are solidly Democrat, Democratic uh, states right now. Uh, 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 Donald Trump had Texas, Texas, all of the Deep South, okay? Likely Florida. Uh, Florida, Or was Florida gray? uh, uh, Florida's gray. They say purple. Ah, my bad. That's right. Red versus blue. Right, I don't know what I was thinking. Red for everybody. Okay, Okay, so basically it it leaves a handful, maybe 10 states, that are quote unquote battleground, battleground states. states. Uh, that's another an, thing you can drink. drink too, right? <laughs> the number, the number of times they say on election night coverage in the battleground state of, of insert. Yeah. Okay. Slurp. Okay. So you're talking about you know uh, uh, Rust Belt states like uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Florida. It typically is. Um, uh, Virginia was for a period of time, though increasingly most political scientists believe um, it's become a blue state. Really? Uh, I thought we were still purple. Uh, well, I mean, if the Democrats get any modicum of turnout, the, 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 the state's population centers of Northern Virginia, Central Virginia, and Hampton Roads area have become overwhelmingly blue. The uh, conservative parts of the state, the Republican parts of the state, um, southwest of the state, southwest and south side, are losing uh, have been losing population since the 1980s. Okay. Well, and isn't that also happening in a lot of rural areas yes. uh, across the nation yes. that had tended to be more conservative, conservative. more yeah. Republican? Yeah. As people are moving into cities, yeah, so their you- votes are getting. Um, uh, watered down, maybe if you if that I, that's not really the word I want to use, but but but, but if I mean, you but, but if but, but, they move into a city that's overwhelmingly Democratic, even though they're still voting Republican, there there well, there's it, math involved. Yeah, well, eventually, if you have a rural state but has a couple big cities, and we know that uh, right now at least. Um, uh, big cities are attracting Democratic voters. Okay, so to give you, you use Texas as an example uh, just a few moments ago. Uh, there are some political scientists that have gone ahead and said uh, that if not this presidential election, maybe 2024 or 2028, uh, there is the potential, at least 
statistically, demographically, that Texas could go Democratic simply because Texas has uh, a handful of rather large cities. And again, Democratic voters are tending to reside um, in big cities. I mean, that's that's one of the more um, interesting phenomenon of our uh, lo- uh, relocation patterns currently in the United States is that if you take a look at the map, the 2016 presidential election map, overall, geographically, it looks like the country is overwhelmingly Republican. Okay, but that's because of rural areas that Republicans tend to do very well in. Democrats are um, residing in cities, and they're doing so in overwhelming numbers. So we are if you will, um, and, and I'm struggling with the word, we are kind of sort of segregating ourselves geographically based on political party in this country right now. Democrats tend to live in cities. Very few d- Democrats okay, want to move to rural areas. And Although that may that may shift as younger people decide they want to get they want to have vegan farms and they want to have tiny homes and they want to have those sure, kinds I mean, of there may be a little bit I of mean, shift back but there have been some newspaper but, articles about how many Californians are, are leaving leaving the state because of the high price of living in the state right. but the problem but for overall, Texas is they have a handful of very large cities so Austin, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, okay, um, tend to are, are drawing a large percentage of younger, and, and right now younger voters are leaning uh, decisively towards the Democratic Party. But nevertheless, your larger point is correct. So in 2016, wait, okay, wait, yeah. I want to say to listeners, you can't see my face right now, but when he said. Texas may eventually go Democratic. My face did a thing, and thank you for not making fun of the thing my face did, because that is sea change in my lifetime. Like The state of Texas has not voted for a Democratic presidential candidate since Lyndon Baines Johnson in 1964. Before I was born. Okay. Like, so my entire so, life, so for pres- it has not been— so, yeah, so for presidential elections— the rule of thumb for Democratic candidates is it makes no sense to campaign right. in Texas. Don't bother. Don't go. Just like right now, particularly since probably the early 1990s, uh, California has become overwhelmingly Democratic. So there's no good reason for a Republican candidate to campaign there. Right. So, Why spend the money? Why spend the effort? You're probably not going to. Likewise, most deep south states. Mississippi, Alabama, right. Louisiana, et cetera, are overwhelmingly Republican. So if you're a Democratic candidate, why bother? So that basically leaves about five to ten battleground states that get all the love, all the all the attention, all the campaigning. And all the ads, all the that's right. robocalls. So if you think about in 2016, the Electoral College basically meant that roughly, you know, somewhere between 35 to 40 states really we watch the they watch the election right because right we were just we were just over here holding their beer while they were voting (laughs) right 
<laughs> yeah. Because, Wisconsin was like, here, hold my beer. I got to go vote. Okay. Yeah. And, and again, smaller states don't get any attention typically from candidates because they only have three electoral college votes. Yeah. Who goes to Montana? Who goes to Montana? The Dakotas, Rhode Island, uh, I mean, Delaware. Not, and what's unfortunate is those states are lovely. They are very lovely. I but most sky country. Most electoral college vote uh, totals are not close. They aren't close. However, you actually mentioned one of the elections where it was <laughs> it, close. It wasn't just close. <laughs> okay. It was settled by about fifteen people or something. I mean, it, it's not quite that small, but it was. So it was less than five thousand. So when we started uh, this uh, podcast episode, uh, Nia made reference to her colleague's question about Bush versus Gore in uh, 2000. In yeah, 2000 why pres- did the Supremes take that case? Okay, so for those of you who uh, weren't paying attention to presidential elections in 2000, or you weren't yet born, okay, um, in 2000 uh, presidential election, uh, Bush too ran uh, George W. 43. Bush, Bush uh, 43. 43. Okay, ran against Al Gore, who was the vice president for the Clinton presidential administration. It was a close election, and it basically came down to one state's electoral college votes, Florida. Florida. Okay, and Florida at that time had 25 plus electoral college votes. So whoever won Florida would. You know, would pat- go over the top. Yeah, would- they were really, really close. I don't, I don't remember what their scores were, but it was like 250 and 250. I mean, it really was. It was very close. It's not quite that, but you know what yeah. I mean. It was very close, and it really did matter. Yes. And so, so they started a recount. Okay, so in Florida, like many states, if the outcome of an election is less than one percent, right, it's within. Okay, yeah. the losing candidate can ask for a mandatory recount. And that's what happened in the 2000 presidential election in Florida. The difference was less than 1%. In fact, as Nia pointed out, as we come to find out, it was basically less than 5,000 votes out of the millions that were cast in Florida in that presidential election. So Al Gore asked for a recount. The problem is in Florida, (laughs) Florida... Um, uh, had passed a a state constitutional provision that basically said that each of the uh, uh, voting precincts um, uh, 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 could determine on their own how to conduct the recount. Florida then, just like most of the counties in Florida today, used computer punch cards when you cast your ballot. Ah, uh, the infamous hanging chad, chad. Right. <clears throat> Which if you were drinking during that election. Chin, that would have been another <laughs> that phrase. That drinking game yes. would have been, yes. You had would hang- have been based on hanging chads. Okay, so on computer punch cards, if a voter doesn't push the lever strong enough for the candidate that they want to vote for in a particular race, okay, um, you could either have a pregnant chad Okay, where so it, the paper gets pushed by a machine. Machine, that's right. And you push down on the paper, and it makes a hole. And the hole is next to the name of the candidate that you want. But if you don't push down hard enough, you either push it so it just makes the paper distorted, distended, pregnant. Yes. Or you push it such that 
it's cut mostly but not completely. Yeah, it may which be is hanging known on. As hanging. That's right. One the of hanging the, chad, and those one, are chads, which is the the the. If it all goes all the way through, what drops on the floor is a chad. That's right. And that gets swept up at the end of the election. And, and then blah, they, blah, run blah. The, they, they, they run the, the, the punch cards through a computer that records the results. Right, because it can see where the hole is. That's and right. So although some of them were off, I think some of them were off, like they couldn't tell which name it was next to. Yeah, in and some of the counties, um, some of the voters complained that they meant to vote for uh Bush or Gore, but they ended up voting for Ralph Nader or right. or Pat Buchanan. That, I was going to say Pat Buchanan got a bunch of votes out of that, um, which we're chuckling because he had no chance of winning that election. But yeah, so there, so that was really so. Then, if you're um, too young to remember this, you should go find do a Google image search for hanging Chad, and what you'll find is a whole bunch of electoral witnesses, like the the people who. Are checking over those cards, holding them up to light, trying yes. to see where the hole is and what yes. the people, what the voter intended. So a lot of it was about voter intent. Can we read voter intent, intent based on by the going back yeah. and look at these? Okay. So as it happened, this is a very time intensive process to do recounts. Yeah, with millions of votes. So the Florida State Supreme Court went ahead and extended the deadline for the recount, which upset the Bush campaign because uh, before the recount, the Bush campaign was actually ahead in Florida. So the Bush campaign filed suit in federal court, and this is Bush versus Gore 1. There's actually two cases that get to the Supreme Court. First time it goes to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court basically issues a ruling telling the Florida State Supreme Court, you have to follow the Florida Constitution. And the Florida Constitution says the recount must be done this way in this amount of time. The case goes back to the Florida State Supreme Court and the Florida State Supreme Court basically said to the U.S. Supreme Court, thanks for sharing. You guys can continue the recount. (laughs) How nice for you, Supreme Court. So the recount <laughs> okay, continues. And the, the, the Bush campaign was just like, okay, we're getting screwed here because the Florida State Supreme Court at that time, okay, most of the justice judges on the Florida State Supreme Court had been picked by uh, uh, Democratic governors. And they're like, hey, we're not getting a fair shake here. And it was a big issue in a number of large counties that were considered Democratic strongholds. Broward, Dade. Mm-hmm. Yes, Some Miami, of the bigger, yeah, Miami, Dade, Miami Dade, the yeah. bigger counties yes. where the big cities are. Sorry, that's right. right. Okay, the rural counties in Florida came out pretty clear. Uh, yeah, it pretty, was pretty clear. It was Bush. They didn't really argue about. I don't yeah. think they were even arguing about that. Yeah, and, and, not really. I yeah, mean, and, and many of those counties were like, we don't have any hanging chads or pregnant chads. We're done with the recount. Okay, right. We're We've going turned home. our number in. We're going home. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll okay. see y'all in four years. <laughs> That's right. So, the Bush campaign files suit a second time. This time, the Supreme Court takes the case. Okay, to hear the substantive issues, and this is where uh, gets at the heart of your colleague's question, because basically, it is highly unusual for the federal courts to get involved with how states determine. Uh, vote counts, but also their participation um, uh, of their electoral college members at the electoral college. 
highly unusual, because basically, if you read the U.S. Constitution, the conducting of elections is to be done by states. Time, place, and manner of voting is controlled by states. There are a few exceptions. We've had a couple constitutional amendments, you know, one that, for instance, prohibits poll taxes, so you don't have to pay a tax when you go to vote. You have the Voting Rights Act, okay, of 1965. Um, you have suffrage. Okay, you have suffrage. But nevertheless, basically elections, okay, the actual conducting of an election is to be done by states, time, place, and manner. That's why you have variance among the states in regards to voting hours. Um, Early voting, right, absentee, absentee voting. voting. Those things can all be very different. We have a research guide on that. I'll link from here yeah. for for Virginia, but also for all the different – the states have some very different rules about – some states require an ID. Some states don't. don't. Some states um, allow, allow you to vote by mail. Something okay. really spiffy in Virginia that's actually not super common is that if you are physically unable to get out of your car, but you can get into your car to come to the polling place, you just can't get into the polling place, they'll come out and let you vote. At your car. Yes. You, so you have to bring somebody with you who goes inside and gets the... The, um, uh, the ballot. The, no, they can't. Mm. They have to bring out the person. Oh, okay. The, the polling manager. They bring that person out with the ballot. Yeah. That person witnesses your ballot and then takes it inside and puts it in for you. Yeah. And you get to vote. Something that's... I mean, it's cool that yeah. we do that here. But, but yeah, mean, but that's different from other states. states. Like, there are states are like, no, sorry, we can't. Yeah. You'd have to absentee vote. You just mail it in. Yeah. Some states uh, say that if you're in line when the polls oh, are closing, you can you still vote. vote. In other states, if you don't vote by 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. or you are out of luck. Okay, that's not fair. That would make me bonkers. Okay, especially Uh, if I'd waited in line a long time. And in regards to the Florida recount in 2000, okay, some states do almost all their voting with, um, you know, uh, 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 touchpads. Okay, right. Um, So a recount there would be couple hours. A couple hours, right? But in other states, um, like for instance in Alaska, they actually have uh, some voting precincts that still do uh, 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 pen and paper. Cause really? Because they're, they're so, so, so small. Well, that's true. All 10 of us will get together and vote. I yes. Mean... Okay. Um, so the Supreme Court takes the case. Highly unusual. Okay. Yeah. And what was even more remarkable is that pretty much all the conservatives in Bush versus Gore um, overturned uh, the decision of the Florida State Supreme Court to allow this mass recounting. Um, and it was unusual because typically the conservatives on the Supreme Court since the late 1980s were all about states' rights and states' authority. All the liberals were like, no, we should not be getting involved, which was, again, highly unusual because liberals, since basically the Warren Court in the 1950s, are like, hey, if the states aren't following their established procedures, we need to overturn their behavior. Okay, So you had strange bedfellows, if you will, in regards to the Bush versus Gore, and it all flows from the Electoral College vote count in Florida because it was the determining factor in that particular presidential election. Because 
Florida is a winner-take-all. That's a winner-take-all state. So it, it mattered. It, it, Every it, one of those votes mattered. mattered. Um, yes. As opposed to if it had been by county and county, it might have actually mattered less will, because a lot of Florida is rural. Very rural. It might have been much clearer earlier yes. who, who was going to win. So in some ways, I could see where that would be a frustration for Florida, where they would say, you know what, we should probably do it. In a different way, yeah. although that that's not what happened. <laughs> I, I have but, to say that after that case, I know that at one point Scalia was asked about that case, and he basically said, and I quote, get over it. They have to get over it. Okay. And I— Because I, he said— It's done. It's, it's done, di- people. It, it's Move done. on. Like, well, and, and, and again, even though there are still—and and I have friends who are still miffed— about the outcome, right? And the fact that I, the, I know some of those okay, people that the Supreme Court actually, well, in effect, decided uh, the 2000 election. Right. At the same time, we had a peaceful transition of power come January. Okay? Right. Al Gore did not stage a coup. No, Al Gore conceded. Bill Clinton left office. office. Bush came Bush into office. office and was assumed assumed the powers and authorities of the office of president. And when he when Al Gore made his concession speech, Bush also made a speech saying how much he respected that choice, the choice for the peaceful transition of power. power. Like everybody there acted as gentlemanly as they could, given that they were probably very hurt feelings wise. Oh yeah. I um, mean and, 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 and basically it, it I mean, was a very comforting thing, I think, to know that for, for basically, even when we have a really angry— For almost a month, that dominated uh, the news cycle, American politics, um, because, I mean, nobody knew okay, right. who, who had actually won. And it, was po- and it was polarizing. Oh, very polarizing. And, and yet yes. people came together after. Yeah. And then at 9-11, people came together to say— but then there's another criticism yeah. of the Electoral College, and uh, your colleague uh, probably uh, gets to this, and that is you saw this in 2016. We've seen this a handful of other times in our uh, nation's history, and that is where uh, the Electoral College vote uh, does not match the popular vote. And what I'm talking about here is a presidential candidate could win a majority of the popular votes cast in the in the country, overall, but still still lose the electoral college, and that's what happened in 2016. If you tabulated all the electoral college for, or all the popular, uh, votes. popular votes cast by Hillary or by the uh, voters in 2016, Hillary Clinton had a majority by at least three million, at least three million. The problem is. She didn't win a majority of the electoral college votes, okay, produced by the states. In other words— She had a majority in places that didn't count, relatively speaking. Yeah, I mean, because let's— Relatively speaking. Yeah. They count because every vote counts, but— I mean, you know— If you have—if you win the majority of California— California. You don't get any more electoral votes than than you you were already going to get. That's right. All you have to do in a state is get 50 plus, plus one. one. That's it. Like, That's it. You're not trying to—you don't have to get everybody. So if you get everybody but you get them and they're not broadly located, right, is, you, is basically what that you, means is you that need, she, hers were clumped. You need to win 
a, a, a large number of states with significant electoral college votes. So it doesn't matter if you win California by 60 percent or 50.2 percent. Okay, You get all of California's electoral college votes. But you also then need to win a number of other large states, states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Virginia, North Carolina. See earlier in battleground states. states. That's right. And that's where, okay, increasingly, and and, and this goes in that's cycles. That's where the elections are happening you know, it, right and, now, and, and, at least and it, right now. Yeah, and it goes in cycles, right? I mean, there was a period of time in the 1980s, early 1990s, where there were more Republican voters in the country than Democratic voters, right? Um, right now, there are more Democratic voters in the country than Republican voters. But the Electoral College still gives the Republican Party candidate a chance to win if you win enough Electoral College votes. And that's, Which is what Donald Trump did. That's he what, went to Wisconsin. He went to Michigan. He went to Ohio. Ohio he went to Pennsylvania. He spent a lot of time in those in those states, states. And, and, because and, he knew that winning over those states was what. Well, somebody knew. I, I don't know how I mean, versed he is in the electoral college. But I mean, but because I don't know how versed any candidate is. But that's why they hire people <clears throat> who come up with strategies who say we need to hit these. 10, 15 states, states and really hammer them with our message because our message speaks to them in some way. I mean, and, they, he, and, and they have a significant, if you will, electoral college vote total that will help us get to 270. Right. And that was one of the criticisms of the uh, Clinton campaign in 2016 was she that— She didn't go to Wisconsin. She yeah, didn't go to well, in, Ohio. In, or she didn't go enough. She, she, she didn't, didn't go enough. She, she didn't uh, do enough. Um, because here, here's another thing that we know about the voters of both political parties. Republican Party voters, faithful, okay, tend to vote more than Democratic voters, okay? Democratic Party voters, okay, um, need to be motivated. We know this. Okay, political scientists who study voting behavior have identified this. Democrats get passionate and Republicans get in line. That's right. I mean, it's something like that. I yeah, can't that, remember that, what the phrase the, is, but yeah, it's that, 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 that it's is a, a really good idea. Par- that's a really good paraphrase of the old adage. Republican Party voters, okay, view it as an obligation. It's a habit. We're going to go vote. Okay, whether or not they like a candidate all that much, they're going to vote. Democratic. Party voters, they need to get enthusiastic. You've got to give them a reason to vote because for many of them, they are new voters or they have other things going on in their lives. Okay. Well, and the Republican vote skews slightly older. Yes. Slightly um, more stable in its um, socioeconomic status, right. et cetera. Okay. All of those kinds of things and, which allow you to go vote. Okay. So, and that's one of the criticisms of the Electoral College. So now you have various proposals, um, you know, that we get rid of the Electoral College or that states promise that they will cast all their Electoral College votes for whoever wins the uh, uh, popular vote throughout the entire country. Well, okay, okay, wait. So wait a minute. Let me just ask you a quick question because yeah. now you know me yeah. and you know my power-grabbing nature. Yeah. If I'm an elector from Virginia, and Virginia is a take-all state, 
Winner take all. Winner yep. take all. Yeah. But at the time that the electoral vote is happening, I'm like, eh, I think I'm going to vote for Nader, even though Virginia did not go for Nader. What happens to me? Uh, Does the Electoral College accept my vote? Uh, typically, yes, unless you happen to live in one of the 28 states who actually punish faithless Electoral College voters. Hence, fa- I would. that's what would make me faithless. You would be faithless. That's right. <laughs> On so many levels. Yes. Okay, so... You, you, what, what, how do I get punished where they take away my right to be on the electoral college? Ooh, like that's not – well. That only happens every four years. What do I care? <laughs> I mean you know what I mean? Like by then I might have even changed parties. Who knows what I'll do? Neil, what you're referencing <laughs> is a phenomenon that is actually in front of the Supreme Court this term. Later on this spring, the Supreme Court is hearing two consolidated cases arising from the states of Washington and Colorado, where they uh, those states had faithless electors. Okay, um, in the state of Washington, uh, you had an elector who I believe um, uh, promised to uh, vote for. Uh, whoever won the popular vote in Washington, and Hillary Clinton won the popular vote in the state of Washington. He is a member of the Democratic Party in good good standing. He swore an oath, okay, that he would you take an oath to yes. be an elector. Yes, okay. In many in many states, the political parties force you to take an oath. That's awesome. Okay, but then when he, <laughs> he gets when, in the room, when, when he went, and he to, writes in Mickey Mouse. No, he, well, he didn't write in Mickey Mouse. He actually wrote in uh, former Secretary of State, former uh, chairman, chairperson of the Joint Chief of Staff, Colin Powell. Okay, I'm in. Okay. And, I could totally see Colin Powell. He's fabulous. Okay, and I'm trying to remember, in Washington, they allow faithless electors to be punished. I'm trying to uh, – okay. Um, okay. Okay. In Washington – what was it? Oh, he was fined $1,000. Okay. <laughs> That's his punishment? He got fined $1,000. Wait, but did his vote still go in as P- Powell? Yes, but then the state of Washington fined him $1,000. Well, I don't. I mean, but it'd be worth it to $1,000 well, well, if you... Well, according to, I think his name was Michael Baca. If you wanted to. Okay. Uh, if you had $1,000. Okay, I think his name was Michael Baca, B-A-C-A, okay? Uh, da 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 no, that was uh, in Colorado. Uh, this one, uh, his name is... Chiafalo? Yeah, Chiafalo. Okay. So, Chiafalo goes ahead and uh, casts his electoral college vote for Colin Powell. Okay. The state of Washington finds... <laughs> I like this finds, guy. I don't even know who this guy is, but I like him. Okay. Um, and the state of Washington finds out, so they fine him $1,000. <laughs> they find out. They're just sitting around. The state of Washington's just sitting around. Okay, well, I mean, on its porch, okay, hanging but, out, and somebody says, "You know, he voted for." <laughs> well, well, as far as both political parties in the state of Washington are concerned, you can't be having faithless electors. <laughs> no, okay? this, I mean, well, you I mean, get enough of them, and your votes don't matter at all. Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, the state of Washington. He, 
he removed a vote from the state of Washington, Washington. And, and that's that could have been and again, an election changing thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, let's it face wasn't, it, but it, it wasn't, but it could have been, right? I mean, in the history of the United States, uh, prior to 20, 2016, we've had about 160, 165 faithless electors. None of them have changed the outcome of a presidential election. But if you got enough of them in a single election, it could have an impact. Well, and again, it comes back to you really shouldn't get to change the vote of thousands of voters. That's not that's not your job. Well, but, Once but, you've gone and cast your vote, which you should do because everybody should vote. Okay, but 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 and for, then you you agree that you will represent the people of Washington according to the state's rules, which is the popular vote. Then you're, I mean, I, I personally okay, but but you're not a huge. I mean, I'm saying I'm a fan, but I'm not really a fan. Okay, but, but your comments get to the constitutional issue. Okay, have the states. In particular, the political parties within each 50 state rigged the system to contravene the original intent of the framers. Okay? And that's what— Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's a fair point because so if their intent was, is, to, is, to, is to be a check on the people, the people in case the people say, <laughs> Hitler, that guy seems nice. Let's elect him, right? Then then you would want them to say the fa- the, it, the, the voters the voters are nuts. Yes. We should not do this. Okay. All right. No, I see where – oh, I see the constitutional issue. Uh-oh. So, ch- it's ch- another one of those constitutional issues where my liberty is coming up against the greater yeah the, the greater de- democratic concepts of, of you know what of the, what we of what the framers what, intended and what the constitution, constitution. intends okay. so in the state of Washington the Washington state supreme court said no uh, because based on US supreme court uh, precedent in the 1950s if states are allowed to go ahead and put restrictions on how electors may be chosen by the parties, then the parties should be able to go ahead, uh, the states should be able to go ahead and punish electors, okay, who don't follow the rules after the fact. However, in Colorado, uh, we had this guy, his name was, um, I think his name was Michael Baca, who, uh, again, Colorado, uh, uh, the popular vote was for Hillary Clinton. Baca decides to go ahead and vote for uh, former uh, Ohio Governor John Kasich, right? Okay. But in Colorado, you don't get fined, okay? The Colorado Attorney General gets to remove you as a member of the Electoral College. And Baca says, hey, wait a minute here, okay? Um, uh, that That's unconstitutional. And he files suit in federal court, and the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals agrees with Baca. So now we have a conflict among lower courts. So the Supreme Court's taken the case to answer the question, can states punish faithless electors? And there are actually some groups who want to get rid of the Electoral College who hope that the Supreme Court, okay, sides with the faithless electors so that that actually scares the public into wanting to get rid of the Electoral College. Because, again, faithless electors, you could make the argument, are actually furthering the intent of the framers. But if they're, if in practice, 
you have a whole bunch of faithless electors who basically overturn an election. Okay, well, this upset enough of the American public to where they're finally willing to get rid of that damn electoral college. The political parties want the Supreme Court to rule in favor of the states because the political parties are basically are like, hey, wait a minute here. They swore an oath to basically follow the popular vote outcome in the states. And we can't be having a whole bunch of our party faithful deciding independently <laughs> whether or not we picked a good presidential candidate. Okay. So, yeah, because that way lies madness and chaos. Yes, and by the for the state party. Yeah, and by the way, not for nothing. And I tell this to my students who are like, "We got to get rid of the electoral college." I said, "Really?" I said, "Has either dominant political party in their national uh, 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 platforms ever uh, advocated for get getting rid of the electoral there college?" There is no plank for that. No. You know why? Because it's an elite group of people who are chosen by an elite group of people. And moreover, it's the rules of the game. And they know the rules. Okay? Okay, so if oh, you're— that's true. I mean, if you just went with straight popular vote, this thing could get out of hand quickly, quickly. as far as— oh. Well, and especially now in the age of social media and all kind and, I mean, and but, um, think about voter interventions like—, like cyber attack and stuff. Oh, yeah. But but it's even more could, it's even more essential than this that. This is a big can of worms they're opening. But it's even more essential than that for the uh, political parties. Whoever the Democrats pick to run against Donald Trump this fall, they basically already know that they are they have the states of Colorado, New York, the New England states already wrapped up. Yeah, they've okay. got California. Okay. Yep. Uh, Republican candidates basically know they got Texas, they got the deep south, they got the upper uh, uh, Midwest states like Wyoming, Montana, the Dakotas. They got all those already wrapped up. So basically their job is to go ahead and focus on a handful of states. Those are rules they're willing to play, you know, uh, play with. Right. Because it's easier for them to to work that system. But if all of a sudden we got a bunch of potentially faithless (laughs) electoral college members running around the countryside saying independently, yeah, my fellow voters in the state of Texas, they were wrong, and I'm going to go ahead and vote for Bernie Sanders. Okay? Well— Oh, my gosh. Texas as a state would lay down and die. Or it would scream so loud that Europe would say, what is that sound? That is the sound of Texas screaming. Or how about how about, how about a bunch of... Uh, or California. Uh, if, uh, if all of a sudden California went for Donald Trump, can you imagine? Or, it would be like... Or even better, you're a Democrat from the far northern part of California, the part of California that has made noise over the last 20 to 25 years uh, of wanting to secede from California to create the 51st state of Jefferson. OK, and they are libertarian. They're conservative. They're gun owners. OK, but nevertheless, you're somehow able to work within the Democratic Party for years. They reward you as electoral college member. And you're like... Now I'm going to go ahead and vote for Donald Trump. You imagine what that would do to a whole bunch of Democratic Party faithful in the state of California? They would be like, what, 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 what is this treasonous behavior? <laughs> right. This is heresy. Okay? Oh, my goodness. And as far as the political parties are concerned, you can't have that madness. 
No. Well, because predictability encourages winability. That's right. Right. I, I am more likely to win if I understand parties, the rules of the game. I mean, think about the first time you ever open a board game that you've never laid eyes on. You don't know you, the rules. Right. You flip over the box lid. You start reading the rules. Usually you get about halfway through and you go, I think I've got it. <laughs> and then and then you're partway through the game and you're like, wait, give me that box again because you got to <laughs> – you have to look him back up, but I mean, you don't just you don't just open the game and start playing. Hardly anybody does that. And the parties have a lot of time, money, energy, and invested. Okay, in things like elections. Remember, political parties want to win elections because if you win elections, guess what? You get get to control government institutions. Okay, right. You don't win elections if you got all you know. You know, faithful. people are just running around voting for every, anybody they want to vote for. OK, I can see it both ways because oh, I can hey. see I can see the arguments on. It'll be interesting to see what the so they're take the Supremes are taking that up this this term, this and term. So, so we'll the, hear the, something by the fall. Uh, well, you'll hear something by the end of June. OK, so we'll know before the election. Yeah, because remember, you know, as we've discussed in previous podcast episodes, uh, Supreme Court members don't like to work beyond the last week of June. Oh, that's right. They take the summers off. <laughs> We're going to summer in the Hamptons um, or wherever. Well, Actually, I think they go. Don't they earn a lot of money going and doing speeches and stuff? Yeah. Well, in the summers? usually two or three of them uh, uh, teach constitutional law. In European law schools. Oh. Well. So they summer in They Europe. summer in Italy or France. Or, yes. How nice for them. <laughs> um, I don't... Huh. I summer in Richmond. I also winter in Richmond, in case there was any question. Um, I seize, I'm all seasonal Richmond. There, yeah, there was no cynicism in your... Yeah, no, I wasn't being sarcastic in the least. Yeah. Okay, so... Once we hear about this, we're going to talk about it more, right? Oh my because goodness, we have yes. to talk about how this comes out. Because yeah, I mean, because that's going to have a huge effect on the, on, on campaign strategies of, of of the two political party candidates, right? Yeah, I, I mean, mean it, it, it's, it, if it's, you can go after faithless electors, electors, why wouldn't you? Oh my! I would start buying those people meals. I would start, you know, like kissing. Um, body parts. They're babies. Yeah. I mean, that's what, there we go. That's, that's true. Kissing that's what, babies and you know, yes, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, you know. Bringing people candy bars and hanging out with them and doing everything you know, I they, can. They to run get a their... barbecue joint. All of a sudden you show up. Okay. Yeah. Like, hey. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel your pain. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So, but it yes. would be yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and, and again, the, the Supreme Court taking these two cases. Has, has raised a few eyebrows among constitutional law scholars because, again, getting back to your colleague's uh, question about Bush, for, Bush versus Gore. Right, why they took it. I mean, typically the federal courts stay away from this stuff because it's considered a political question. But you said something I think is important to that, which is it's a con- conflict between two. In this particular instance, it's a conflict between two lower courts, which they do tend to try to settle uh, if they can. That's right? right. Because otherwise, then you have utter chaos. Yes. Because the different districts can do different things. And that's right. No and, one wants I that. I mean, some state courts would be like, hey, we agree with the state of Washington. We're going to punish these faithless electors. And we're going to make it worse. We're going to put them in prison and we're going to make yeah. 
yeah. get a ten billion dollar fine. You know, and and then other uh, state courts or other federal courts are like, yeah, the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals got it right. Okay, Colorado should not be able to do this. Yeah, so I can see why the Supremes are going to take that that particular the, yeah. case. Still, is it's still um, a question we could talk about with Bush v. But I suspect that. I would assume that part of that answer was also what we were talking about with um, the the peaceful transition of power. At that point, I'm my guess is that part of what they wanted to do was get it settled. Yes. This needs to be settled. Yes. It is extremely unsettling for the country. You were talking about a month. It was it was like a, a month, four to six weeks of incredibly unsettling times and both for the government and for the people of not knowing who was coming in that's really scary and that's not a i'm assuming that the supreme court in part looked across the nation and said we don't need this to keep boiling and wondering and not having any stability here yeah and and part of the difficulty is nobody in florida could give an accurate prediction as to when the recount would be done. Right. Is it going to take seven days? Is it going to take three weeks? weeks. Is it going to take six months? Uh, I mean, we can't wait that long. And we also know, and presidential scholars tell us this, um, when somebody wins the presidency in early November, they need all two months, okay? Oh, for, for the transition. For the transition. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the federal government is just too big. Okay, for a transition that's less than two months. In fact, most presidential scholars would argue uh, we need to push back inauguration probably uh, to the original uh, uh, date and time, which was mid-March. Okay, because most presidential administrations doesn't doesn't even matter if you once worked in the White House as a you know, and you become a presidential candidate later on. Okay, the, just it's the, just different. It's the sheer scope of all the appointments and all the meetings and then figuring out what's going on in international affairs and then being able to figure out who you can or should work with in Congress. Okay, that's a massive undertaking. Yeah, so I'm I'm assuming that partly is why they played into that as well as, you know what, this needs to get settled because it needs to be done. Yes. Um, And we we can relitigate it for the rest of our lives, but... The reality is George Bush became president. He served as president. And that's that. I mean, yes. And Donald Trump has served as president. Like whether you agree with the election or don't agree with the election or what happened or the popular versus the electoral vote. What separates us from other nations is our ability to say, "Okay, well, we're moving on because. Yeah, because the election gives legitimacy to whoever occupies the position next. And I have okay. to admit I'm a little frustrated we haven't we haven't done that in the last two elections cuz or excuse me with Obama and with Trump there was a lot of carryover of anger and frustration yeah. about your candidate not winning and that's just not helpful to anybody. It comes back to why we started this podcast. It's it's not helpful to keep relitigating your anger and your frustration. What's done is done. We need to move on. Let's work to find a way to work together or at the very least to not hurt each other. That's right. I mean, because you know, the last, if you will, two presidents that have been elected, um, first Obama and now Trump, uh, the losers, okay, uh, have, uh, have demonstrated a recalcitrance, uh, an anger, if you will, um, that's just not healthy. 
Um, I, I don't think it's healthy. Um, yeah, the so, losing side. Okay, so you lost. Okay, we right. got we have another that, we have that another hurts and it's hard. We have another presidential election in four years. What are we going to do in those four years? Right. Okay. Um, because again, as we've discussed before, uh, right or wrong, we have a, a, a form of democratic governance in this country that requires cooperation, compromise, and consensus to get things done. So, it, it, unless your anger um, is, is is so overwhelming to where you never want to get things done, um, well, at some point in time, you're going to have to like stop and say, okay. We lost. We don't necessarily like the other side, but there are some some things we want to get done. Right. Um, and, and, you can't, and you can't do that if you always view whoever won an election as the enemy. Right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we'll get together and talk again next week. All right. See you. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.